It's time for us to get started tonight. If you're one of the kids, come on down front here. We, we, we're just about to start. You're welcome to come on down.
several who are out of town this weekend because of the extended weekend and uh, we uh, have missed our youth this morning I don't know if they were able to come back this afternoon but several are out of town so 
let's be uh, looking around and see who's not here and let them know that we miss them. As far as a couple of announcements tonight, we're going to be taking the bus to the Oak Ridge Gospel Meeting uh, tomorrow night where Lance Foster is the speaker. The bus will leave at 630. Uh, ladies going to the Transformed Ladies Retreat. Y'all will be leaving the TAC this coming Thursday afternoon. Uh, Salt Team 2, you're going to have a taco nacho meal in the annex next Sunday night following classes. And if you're in the Golden Circle, keep in mind our luncheon that's going to take place this coming Tuesday morning at 1130. And also we want to continue to remember Brother J.T. Beard and uh, Ken Forrest as they're away in Guyana. And uh, we want to pray for their success and uh, their safety. And so uh, please bow with me at, for a prayer before we go to class. And please remain seated for a song uh, as our teachers make their way to class. Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the day. We are mindful of your majesty and your power. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from your bountiful hand. Father, we're mindful of many that we know that are sick, uh, those that are facing various kinds of illnesses. We pray that you would be with those that are helping them and treating them, that uh, it can be done so that they can be restored to a portion of their health. And again, Father, we ask that you bless those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. Father, we ask a very special blessing on behalf of Brother Ken Forrest and our Brother J.T. Beard as they have traveled to Guyana for uh, mission work. We pray for their efforts. We pray for their safety. And uh, we look forward to hearing uh, good results when they return. Father, please bless us in our Bible study tonight. May we open up our hearts and minds to your word and listen and apply those things to our lives. Father, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Jesus. 
so good to uh, be among God's people uh, and to smile and to laugh, isn't it? Amen. Okay, there we go. Is it pulled up? Okay. It's the same thing I was using before. Let's see, I thought he got it. There we go. All right. There we go. Okay. Again, it is great to be here, to be with all of you. And we missed a week last week, had an opportunity to hear a great report on some mission work. Now tonight, as we turn our attention back to... Uh, our study in the Word of God, specifically some doctrines that or, or things that are taught, things that are believed, things that are uh, commonplace in the religious world that many people have just taken for granted. And so we have thought about that just a little bit and uh, looked at some things. And I've already come to an understanding that we, we're in what is on my paper that I will make available to you. I still haven't forgotten that. As lesson four, there is so much that we will not time's sake uh, get to, and perhaps we can do a part two of this study a little bit later. Uh, but before we get into that, let's begin our thoughts with a word of prayer, as is our custom. And if there's anyone, I've gone ahead and put Tristan Gibson, who we, whom we mentioned this morning, who is a sixth grader uh, at Wheeler, who is, um, has, was on the transplant list and had been matched up and got an even better match, was my understanding, and uh, the call that he had to come immediately. And that surgery took place this morning, and I have not heard any update uh, since then. So we want to remember him and all of those involved in his care um, uh, in our prayers. Is there anyone else that we want to put on? Of course, we're going to put Brother Ken uh, on our prayer list and Brother JT. Brian uh, Rowland, who is, uh, is having surgery again uh, on uh, his foot that uh, uh, continues to have issues with that that uh, concern him and his doctors. And he's facing yet another surgery. So we need to remember him in our prayers. Of course, JT and Ken are in the mission field. Anyone? Yes, ma'am. Oh, don't you, sorry. That's the teacher in me. Uh, uh, you move your hand. I think you're sorry. Anybody else? The safe travels for our ladies going to the ladies retreat. The ladies going to the retreat in... Uh, Pigeon Forge, Pigeon Forge this week, um, safe travel for them, those who are uh, going to that and those who are driving them and all of those who are on the road, uh, things happen so quickly. Um, most of you may not know this, but Lisa was in a car accident three weeks ago. We start, stopped for a school bus and person coming up behind her. Uh, saw the school bus at the last minute and at 65 tried to miss the bus uh, and found her in the other lane. And so fortunately, um, that has, she wasn't hurt and uh, has recovered from uh, being bruised and, and sore. The car unfortunately did not make it, okay. Um, 
And three and a half weeks later, we're still signing papers and jumping through hoops. Isn't that fun? But anyway, that's better that than other problems. So as we begin tonight, bear with me. Most gracious Father, we come before you tonight with the understanding that there are those on our sick lists, printed in our bulletin, and on our hearts on a regular basis. Those who are chronic in uh, care facilities because of age and because of infirmities. Those who are struggling with long-term illnesses. Those who are still in the recovery stages of grief because of the loss of a loved one. And we understand that that goes not just days, but weeks and months beyond the event. And we pray for them. We pray especially tonight about those uh, who have been brought to our attention. Tristan Gibson, who has uh, had a kidney transplant today. Brian Rowland, who faces surgery this week again. We pray for those uh, caring for these individuals, doctors, nurses, caregivers, and loved ones who are around them. We pray that your loving hand would be upon them and you know their needs. Be with Ken and JT as they work in a foreign mission field and as they travel home, may everything they do be to your glory and in your service. Be with our ladies who have taken it uh, upon themselves to travel to this ladies' conference that is designed to strengthen them spiritually that they might serve you better here be with them, keep them safe, and may that be um, an event that strengthens these servants to your glory. Help us tonight as we focus our attention on Revelation chapter 20, and we think about what your Bible, what your truth teaches there, and how it exposes things that are not true, and may we be wise enough to recognize the difference, and wise enough to explain that to others. In Jesus we pray. Amen. If, you, if you'll turn your Bible to the book of Revelation, and if you've got your Bible in front of you, I encourage each of you to turn your Bible there. Because what we're going to do, Brother Rick, I'm assuming you're going to be the reader, right, Brother Rick? Okay, so I'm going to uh, go through the book of Revelation chapter 20 with you. And then we're going to read some other verses that Brother Rick will read to us as we uh, move to that. Okay. We were in what is, uh, what is listed on paper as Lesson 4, where we look at some Bible truth compared to common misconceptions and error concerning the end of time, the coming of Jesus, and uh, the establishment of the kingdom. So we'd looked at several things regarding the kingdom and judgment day, and we had found ourselves in... Time-wise, we, yes, we probably do need to review, but we really don't have the time to do that to a great extent. But, so we find ourselves now back to Revelation chapter 20. And I want to read to you a general overview. I don't expect you to be able to read that small print. And this is very simplistic. I want you to understand that my goal is to recognize, to help you recognize some things that people in the world who are sincere, people in the world who are well-meaning, who have in their hearts to serve the Lord and are not deceitful in their nature whatsoever, but they have been misled. They, are, uh, uh, mis they have misunderstood some things and taking it for, to use the old adage, taking it for gospel truth when in fact it isn't gospel truth. 
And it is that for which we're seeking and looking at. Especially when it comes to the idea that Jesus is coming back. And when he does come back, he's going to establish a kingdom. A physical kingdom, a literal kingdom for a thousand literal years on planet earth. And sit on a throne in Jerusalem during that thousand year reign. Now there are so many things that are a part of that doctrine. And we're not going to weave into all of that, but simply look at this. So this overview covers it. Christ will come in the first phase of his return to earth called the rapture. And that'll probably be the last thing we look at in our time this quarter. And at this time, the righteous dead will be raised, the living saints will be changed, and both will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4 addresses Parts of those words I just read. 1 Corinthians 15 also does the same thing. Then will come, I didn't say teaches that. I said uses the terms caught up in the Lord and being changed. But when the, he returns to the earth, the rapture will happen. At this time, righteous dead will be raised. The living saints changed and both will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Then will come the marriage feast of the Lamb, during which there will be a great tribulation on earth. After the wedding, he and the bride, the church, will then complete the return to earth called the Revelation, where Christ will set up his kingdom, sit on David's throne, and reign from Jerusalem for a literal thousand years, which is called the millennium. At the end of the millennium, Satan will be loosed for a short time and make a furious last effort to destroy the Lord's people and work. This will be followed by the resurrection of the, right, of the wicked dead, for the righteous will already have been raised at the beginning of the thousand years. The judgment will then occur. Okay, that is a nutshell of that particular belief system, that theory, that thought process. Now, my goal is to not pick that. My goal is not to pick it apart, but rather simply, very simply, very logically, and very scripturally to look at some scriptures. And see if this idea holds water or not. Does it fit what the scripture says about the end of time, the coming of Christ, the judgment, and the kingdom? Now, understand this. Let's start with this. I put two words on the board. When you hear me say literal, I'm talking about physical. Actual physical, uh, a physical thing that was in the realm of, of who we are physically. Okay? When I say actual, I'm talking about something that has a spiritual existence. And I'll explain that as I go, but I want you to think about those two words as we go here just a little bit. But very first thing, excuse me, let's start with Revelation chapter 20. And I want to show you some things. And uh, Brother Rick, I'm going, to have you, I'm going to read here and let you read some other verses if that's okay. Is that all right with you? Okay, now, before we go any further, we'll start in verse 6, verse 5, as you see on the board. Uh, but before we do that, let's just start reading with verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not, uh, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. 
And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, the idea of a thousand-year reign has its, the wording is right here in Revelation 20. In Revelation 20 and 19 and 16, but especially here in 20, is from where uh, the wording and the ideology comes for a thousand-year reign that Jesus is going to reign with his saints on the earth for a thousand years. So before we do anything else, I want you to understand we have to approach this logically. Please understand the book of Revelation has symbolism in it. It has figurative languages in it. That doesn't make it ununderstandable, if that's a word. That doesn't make it beyond our scope of comprehension or understanding. When you read the first chapter, I have to be careful here not to get into a, a, a deep study of Revelation. That's another time. But when you read the first chapter, you understand John was writing to Christians about things that were about to happen. He was preparing them for something. Now, that doesn't mean it's not applicable to us. Because the book of Revelation is very much like a story I once heard, and I'm sure some of you probably heard this story before, about the little boy that uh, came home from the library, and he was sitting in his room reading this new book, Brother Jim, that he got, and he was excited, and Mom would go back and forth from the kitchen to the uh, laundry room, back and forth, and she kept hearing the little boy say, Oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. And she got, finally got curious enough that she went in and said, whom, to whom are you talking? He said, oh, mama, this is a book about cowboys and Indians. And the uh, Indians keep saying that they're going to beat the cowboys, but they don't because I've read the end of the book. <laughs> Quite literally, the book of Revelation is our end of the book. It's the proclamation of victory. And so when we read things that are figurative and... Um, uh, we shouldn't be afraid of those things, but take it this way. There is nothing that I can pull from the book of Revelation or any other figurative passage in the Old Testament, nothing I can pull from it that will ever teach anything that contradicts plain teaching of Scripture. Do y'all all agree with that? And if it does, if I say this must mean this and that contradicts plain teaching of Scripture then I'm wrong, and I cannot stand on that. And that's what we're going to do here. So number one, well, even before number one, I wasn't even going to put this on the list, but I want to ask you something. Look at verse one, verse two, I mean. That angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. By the way, is an angel a physical being or a spiritual being? Oh, okay. Fair, that's right. So then... Uh, verse 2, laid hold on the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So Satan is bound during this thousand years, correct? Okay. Now, is the devil a physical or spiritual being? Okay. Satan, spiritual or physical? Okay. Now, second question. When I say physical, I mean, I mean he is not walking around here in the flesh, is he? No, he's spiritual. Okay, and you may be thinking, well, that's, move on, that's, that's easy. Okay, now, the dragon, 
representation of his ferocity, representation of his, you know, uh, tremendous destructive power. How many of you have ever seen a, a fire-breathing dragon movie of any kind, including Godzilla? Anybody? Okay. Now, does anybody in this... Is the devil... Does he exist in the form of an actual, physical, fire-breathing dragon? No. Okay. You recognize that. You say, no wonder you didn't put it on the list because that's just kind of simplistically silly, Mr. Preacher. You're right. Wait a minute. You're telling me that you recognize Satan and the devil and the dragon are all, they're all spiritual representations. But yet, the thousand years, which is in the same verse, is a physical thing. Now, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. You can't pick and choose how you want to interpret Scripture. If the dragon is spiritual, if the devil and Satan are in the spiritual, then so must the thousand years because they're in the same verse. Now, with that in mind, let's just look at some things. Is the thousand-year reign of this text literal? That is, is it physical? Well, number one, if it is then the first resurrection of verse 5 is a physical resurrection. Now, uh, Brother Rick, read verses 5 and 6, if you don't care. Revelation. Yes, please. Okay. Sorry, I changed my mind. All right. I done got ahead of you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, why don't you tell me? Hold on, I got it coming right here. I won't do that anymore. Okay. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. That is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So now look at the end of verse 4. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Twice it is said here, or three times actually, a thousand years, and this is the first resurrection. Okay, if this, if the thousand-year reign is a physical time period, an exact time period, physically speaking, then that means the first resurrection is, is, is as well. But wait a minute. Now let's go to John chapter 5, 24 through 29. I won't throw you off anymore, Rick. I'll, I'll... Okay, that's fine. Listen to these passages as Brother Rick reads them. John 5, 24 through 29. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Now let me stop you right there. Before you read 28 and 29, you've got to notice this as you study, that Jesus is actually referencing two resurrections here now watch it watch what he's saying because he said the hour is coming 
and now is, verse 25, when the dead will hear his voice, the voice of God, and those who hear him will live. The hour is coming and now is. For God has granted to the Son to have life in himself. Is he ta- what's he talking about there? Uh, not, in that, not in verse 25, I don't think. The resurrection of spirit, from spiritual death. Because he said the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear his voice and those who hear will live. That's being born again spiritually. Now watch verse 28. Now, Marilyn, here comes that part. Go ahead. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. See, I know that's two different uh, occurrences that he's talking about, or two different things, because he says those who hear will live. But then he said all who hear the voice will come forth, the good and the evil. That's the physical resurrection. That's the second resurrection. The second death that we're going to get to a little bit later is being lost in hell. The first death is what? Is our death, right? The second death is spiritual death, eternal spiritual death. Here, those who hear his voice will live the resurrection spiritually. Now, go to Romans 6. Go to Romans 6. Romans 6, 3 through 6. And then Ephesians 2 will make it crystal clear. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin must be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, Ephesians 2. I want us to hear all of these passages together. Ephesians 2. If you don't mind, just read 1 through 7 because that whole context. And yet you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved." and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Thank you, Brother Rick. Rick was reading from the King James. What does quicken mean? Made alive. Made alive. Wait a minute. Verse 5, when we were dead in trespasses and sin, he what? Made us alive made us alive when we were dead in trespasses and sin. All right, now back to 
uh, Revelation 20. Do you remember that verse 5? The, uh, or the verse 6, I mean, sorry. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. When I look over to verse 14 and 15 of Revelation 20, what is the second death? Come on, somebody tell me. It happens at judgment. What's the second death? Hell itself. Hell itself. Being lost in hell itself. Whoever was not found death in Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was uh, not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So those who have part in the first resurrection, the second death has no, they have no part in the second death. They don't die eternally, spiritually. Why? Because they've been made alive in Christ. So with that understanding, the resurrection of this passage... The context there makes it clear this first resurrection are those who have been raised with Christ. When they were baptized into Christ and had their sins washed away and, all, and the old man did what? Died. Uh, trespasses and sins, they were dead in, now they're alive. That's the first resurrection. So the thousand years is in the same context. So if it's a literal, physical time period, then the first resurrection has to be physical. But it isn't. It's spiritual. Therefore, this thousand years must also be spiritual. Why? It's in the same context. That's just logic. Not argumentative. Just logic. Okay, now, um, the, so the logical conclusion is the resurrection of this passage is the spiritual resurrection of salvation. Uh, and what are we doing here? Please understand that this is not a basic Bible teaching class. Rather, it's saying if this is true, if the first resurrection, according to John 5 and Romans 6 and Ephesians 2, is when someone is free, is dead in trespasses and sins and raised new in Jesus because they obey the gospel, then that's the first resurrection. If that's true, then when I see he who has part in the first resurrection has no part in the second death. He shall live with Christ for a thousand years. Wait a minute. That's a spiritual context. So for you to suggest the thousand years is a physical, doesn't fit. So if it doesn't fit, we have to go back and reconsider what it means. So that's number one. Number two, again, this is just simple. Uh, if this thousand year reign of Revelation 20 is literal, that is physical. If so, then Christians are not priests now as we live for Christ because, he says, Revelation 20, verse 6, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign. Okay, look, here's the, here's the language application here. I'm not going to use the word English teacher, but here's the language. Look at it with me. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Y'all with me? Over such the second death has no power, but... Now look at everything past the word but. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. When does the being a priest of God and reigning the thousand years, when does that happen? Different times or same time? According to this passage. Same time. So it's happening at the same time. 
So when are we priests? Let's see. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which, mm. is in, times, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not attained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Sorry, thank you, Brother Rick. Uh, who are the people of God now? Christian. You agree with that? Okay. Who shows forth the praises of Christ now? Christians. So according to 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, who are God's chosen nation right now? Christian. And who is the uh, priesthood right now? Christians. Okay. What? His people. And who are his people right now? Christians. Now you're thinking, you're kind of being silly. Not intentionally, I'm not. Because it's really that simple. Now, back to Revelation. And this time, Rick, if you don't care, read chapter 1, 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Now, when you read that, now that the Greek was translated into English for us, and the Greek tense is, is more, even more complicated than the English tense is, but very quickly, may I share something with you? If I, do you mind if I use... Use an example, I promise it won't be silly this time. Uh, if I said that Brother Jim and Sister Janita, uh, okay, y'all lived in America's Georgia, correct? Okay, how many years? Okay, when I use, there is a tense, the English language has six tenses. And to make it long story short, there is one of them that past perfect tense and the present perfect. I use had with past perfect. I use have or has with present. You say, what's the difference? Who cares? This is the difference. If I said the Estes's had lived in America's Georgia for 12 and a half years, because I used the word had with lived, I said without saying it that they no longer live there. They live somewhere else. But when I say they, how long have you been in Boonville? 25. Okay, if I say the Estes's have lived in Boonville for 25 years, by virtue of using that tense, I'm saying they still live here. Now, look, and you say, oh, please don't do that. Who cares? Look at that verse again. Look at that verse. And has made us kings and priests to God. Okay, Jesus Christ, when did he wash us from our blood? I mean, wash us from our sins in his blood? When we, when we obeyed the gospel, when we were baptized. And when did he make us kings and priests? Same time and has made us, we're still kings and priests spiritually if we're serving Christ. If not, then we're not, we're not still washed in the blood. But 1 John 1, 7 says that we are if we walk in the light. So, simple logic here. Christians have taken part in the first resurrection. Christians are priests with Christ now, and therefore... The thousand years is going on now. It's a spiritual reference to the church age, folks. It's a spiritual reference to the church age. 
that right now, this thousand years, is the same time period as when we are kings and priests with God spiritually, when we are participating in the first resurrection uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. The thousand years is, is the church age. It's happening right now. Now, don't ask me to explain to you that part of Revelation 20 that talks about that uh, Satan being loose for a period of time and what's going to happen there because that is a fascinating study that doesn't fit just here. But I read something interesting this afternoon about that that makes perfect sense. People say, oh, we'll know it's the end of time because when we see all these terrible things, not according to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew, you wouldn't know. So when all these, when, when terrible things start happening and we hear about it on the news, what should we do? Uh, pray and get ready. Same thing we were doing before we heard it. Same thing we ought to be doing after the news goes off. So, but anyway, uh, back, that's just two things. Number three, how many of you have ever heard uh, the idea that one day there will be a great battle against good versus evil? It'll be the battle of Armageddon. The battle to end all battles. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Now, according to this passage, and again, I promise you from the depth of my soul, I am not being silly or sarcastic toward anyone who believes this. Because I told you I've had a, a colleague that I had for nine years who would have a hard school day and say, I'm so ready for the rapture. And she meant every word of it. Just as Shirley's brother Ken talks about, uh, he, he's ready for the Lord to come. He's not being dark. But that misunderstanding is dangerous. Okay. If the thousand-year reign is literal, that is physical, then that battle is physical and literal. And others would say, well, exactly. That's what we've been saying all this time. Let's look at uh, verses 7 through 10 of Revelation 20. Uh, okay, verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Uh, and in, verse, in chapter 19 and chapter 16 is when you hear the term uh, uh, Armageddon, uh, Armageddon. But here they went up on the breath, verse 9, and the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and the fire and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's the devil's demise. And then we move into the judgment scene beginning in verse 11. But this 7 through 10, this, physical, this battle, if, if the thousand-year reign is physical, then this has to be physical. However, if we don't do anything else before in the next nine minutes, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Do you read about... Christians being in a battle in the New Testament? Absolutely. Do we have an enemy? Absolutely. Are we in a, a, a... Yes. But every time, I want you to hear what's said about it. Okay, please. Now I, Paul, will myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present. With, with present with that confidence 
wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us if we walk according to the as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to be pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Did y'all hear that? Did you hear what he said? Carnal is physical. Carnal is fleshly. He said the weapons of our warfare are the weapons that we use aren't physical weapons. They're spiritual weapons. Because it's, okay. Now, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against darkness, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And stand, therefore, having your loins girt about the, with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having all above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me that I, that I utterance, and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. My friends, if Revelation 20 and any other passage in Revelation gives rise to the idea that one day there'll be a great battle uh, on the plains of Megiddo, be a great battle called the, the, the Battle of Armageddon, the, the battle to end all battles, in which God's people, nobody else is, it's, it's God's people, who will fight that battle against the forces uh, of Satan. Folks, according to those verses, that means that God will ask us one of these days, He'll suddenly ask all of us to fight a battle for which we've never been trained, using equipment we have never been introduced to, wearing armor that we have no idea even how to put on unless we've had military training. Yes, ma'am. When I was in Israel, we went to Mount Carmel, which is where Elijah called down Baal, you know, and all that. Well, on Mount Carmel is where he did that. And then right down under him is just like a huge, huge place. And they call that Megiddo. Megiddo. And they say that's where Armageddon will be found. Yes. And if that's the case, and if we're all, however God chooses to call us there or transport us there, if we're still living, you understand that you're going to be asked to fight a battle. You have no idea how to fight because you've never been trained. It doesn't make sense because it is a spiritual battle. 
fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. He, he said that very clearly. In fact, the icing on the cake, if you will, is John 18, 36. Jesus himself, before his death, before his triumphant resurrection and ascension back into heaven, he said uh, several uh, simple words. What did he say to Pilate? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I shall not be, that I should not be delivered to the Jews? But now is my kingdom not from hence? If God intends us to fight the battle for Jesus, then he, I don't mean this flippant, it sounds that way. He forgot to tell Jesus. Or he changed his mind. That isn't what the scripture teaches. It is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. The battle between Christ's servants and Satan is a spiritual battle going on right now. It's going on right now. Now, one more real quick, and then we're going to stop for tonight. Because I want to show you this last one uh, in that same verse. What does it say? They shall surround. Let's be turning to Hebrews 12. It says they will surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Okay, that beloved city is the city of Jerusalem, according to the idea Jesus is going to set up a throne where? City of Jerusalem. Right? Nod your head like this. That's what the thousand years will emanate from there. That's why the battle, uh, Maryland's going to be so close, because that's the center point. But wait a minute. He's going to surround the camp of the saints in the beloved city. It is, if the thousand-year reign is true, then it's true. It's literally Jerusalem of Palestine. However, folks, did you know the Scripture actually teaches something different using the same words? Brother Rick, read it. For ye are not come unto the mount that, that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which, which voice they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are coming well, to Mount... Wait a minute, wait a minute. now listen, listen carefully. Now please hear this. They're going to surround the camp of the saints and that beloved city. They are. Oh, absolutely. It's going to happen. But is it literal? Is it physical? Watch what he says. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but the, the heavenly Jerusalem. Oh, there you are, Jerusalem. The heavenly. All we have to do now is figure out what the heavenly Jerusalem is and... We've got it. Read the next verse. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. According to the Hebrew writer, the, the holy Jerusalem is the church. Hmm? Well, here, the New Jerusalem, here, he's talking about the church. He saw it coming down out of heaven. So, in other words, it's the church saved. 
And so therefore, uh, the church and the beloved city of God are the same thing. So when, this thousand years is not literal. It's spiritual. So when is it happening? What, right now, while we're fighting the battle. Who, when are we the New Jerusalem right now? When are we going to be delivered? When he comes again, the kingdom. So that's something to think about. That's, this is a, a lot uh, to digest. Thank you so very much uh, for listening tonight. Bow with me very briefly. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to study. May we continue our in-depth thoughts and studies as we try our very best to know what you would have us to teach, believe, and uh, help others understand. In your son's name, amen. Have a great week.